As you may know, fall is a time when it's best to tend to your yard and the grass in your yard. We have a very small plot of grass behind our house, but it has been struggling lately because of the aridness of fall and the heat of the summer. We have big patches where grass is barely growing, and then we have other patches where it's already gone, and it's just dirt. So this past week, we gave our yard, our little yard behind our house, some attention, aerating, aerating, and putting out new grass seed in hopes that the yard might regenerate and emerge with beauty and color by the time we get to springtime. We did this on Tuesday. Then on Wednesday, we had this massive rain and everything we did was totally washed away. (laughs) And I think it's even happening again today. New grass seed is really not that important. It's not. But what happened this week in that little scenario reminds me again just how much life is this never-ending struggle, pushing back, fighting against the destructive forces, aridness, barrenness, and working for beauty and serenity and color and calm. It's ongoing, that journey, that struggle in many areas of life. My former professor and renowned biblical scholar Walter Brueggemann speaks often about how the world comes at us in destructive and pathological ways. He's not talking about the grass, I don't think. He's not talking about how it's challenging to keep it growing in your backyard. He's talking about much more than that, the things that are problematic, the things that are really destructive about our world and about our city or about our culture and about our lives, the issues that truly confront us and cover us sometimes. Where is this destruction for you in these days? Where have the deep threats and the real challenges been emerging in your life recently? You know, every week and in preparation for Sunday, I look across our congregation prayerfully and I try to think about what's going on. What's going on with the people in our church family? How are the destructive issues, the pathological challenges that we face, how are they confronting us, confronting you in these days? I know most of you pretty well, but There's only so much that I actually know about. Some of us are carrying deep loss. Some of us continue to adjust to life without a loved one. The wounds of grief can be very complicated, very long-lasting. So finding our way forward is often filled with challenges and adjustments and tears and heartache and change. Some of us are dealing with significant pain, even debilitating pain, striving to adjust to some new situation. Maybe it's post-surgery. Maybe it's a new ailment that's problematic. These are issues of body and mind 
and spirit affects all things about ourselves. And then some of us have regular battles. We are dealing with anxieties. We have worries about our children or about our parents, perhaps, in new and deeply challenging ways. We have lingering uncertainties that we're constantly trying to fend off. We're navigating life's transitions. And then all of us ought to be concerned about some larger issues that confront us, these destructive and pathological challenges like the warming of the planet, the chaos of political life in our city, in our nation, the violence that touches us in so many different ways and traumatizes the world, and much more. We started our worship this morning with a lovely hymn. The hymn is called, Come Worship God. We always start worship with a hymn. We get used to it. We come in, we stand up, and we sing. But this hymn, and the singing of it, um, intends to be intentional. Every week when we do it, it intends to remind us where our life is centered where our strength comes from, where our hope comes from. And today's hymn comes from Psalm 95, Come Worship God. And Psalm 95, put to music like this, is trying to remind us to center our lives in God's care. Since the world comes at us in destructive and pathological ways, what else can we do but center our life in God? Here's what Walter Brueggemann says as so many things bombard us, so many things want to refocus our attention from the reign of God, from God's promises, from God's care. And I quote, As we sing our life out toward God, who is our shepherd and our king, we sing the center of our life away from ourselves. As we sing life out toward God and away from ourselves, we sing away from the fear and the anxiety that cause us to act in such selfish and inhumane ways. For which of you, by turning to self, can add a cubit to your life? As we sing life out toward God, we announce that the selfish, greedy ways of our culture are false. We announce to the world that armaments and bombs and wars, the ways of the world towards security, Brueggemann says, is a lie because it will never make us safe. We declare that consumerism is a lie because we can never eat enough or never have enough to make us safe. We receive well-being only from this other one to whom we turn in praise, end quote. I love that. I love that. It reminds us where our lives are centered. Our word for today is covenant. Covenant is a beautiful word. It's a very important word in the Bible. It's a very important word for people of faith. Covenant. Covenant means essentially a contract. In the Bible, God makes covenants with lots of people. Adam and Eve. Noah. Abraham and Sarah, 
Moses, many others. It can be summarized generally in a phrase, in a phrase that, would, that was echoed in that first hymn that we sang from Psalm 95. God says, I will be your God. You will be my people. God shows, I will watch over you and care for you, and you will live as a faithful community. God promises, I will bless you, and you will live as a blessing in the world. The emphasis on covenant is the relationship. The emphasis on covenant is about the connection, much more than the equal participation in a contract. The emphasis on covenant was and is less about the legalities of the deal and more about the bond, the relationship. Covenant actually comes from two Latin words, con and venire, pairing the words coming and together. We see the, in the scriptures over and over again how God bonds God's self to the world. Steadfast love, faithfulness, abiding care, and to humanity. God keeps affirming and reminding, I am your God, you're my people. Yet the people, including us, as you may know, constantly fail at keeping our end of the deal. God keeps the bond. God keeps reestablishing the relationship. I am your God. You're my people. This is where we get the big word grace, the big emphasis on grace. God preserves the covenant. God keeps the covenant. God never lets go of the covenant, never lets go of the people. God's grace is what makes it happen. In our first lesson today, um, we have a heavy dose of covenant. Those words from Deuteronomy 6 uh, come just following some of the most important words in the whole Old Testament, the words known as the Shema. The Shema says, listen, Israel, our God is the Lord, the only Lord. Love the Lord your God, therefore, with heart, soul, and strength. Recite this to your children. Talk about it when you're at home. Talk about it when you're going out. Talk about it when you're lying down, when you're standing up. Tie these words on your hand. Put them on your doorpost. On your doorpost. Never forget it. The Lord is one. We love the Lord with heart, soul, mind, and strength. Covenant life means affirming God is the Lord. And we love God and we grow in God's ways and it never changes. That's meant to be forever. Then just after that brief Shema, we have the words that Jack read today that start at verse 10 that basically says, don't forget the Lord, revere the Lord, serve the Lord, do what is right and good. It's all about covenant, covenant life. God is God, therefore live as God's people. These words run all through the book of Deuteronomy. They're repeated page after page in Deuteronomy. Moses led the people out of slavery. Moses led them through the wilderness for 40 years, and they get to the edge of the land that God has given them, and Moses gives a sermon. It's probably the longest sermon ever. It's Deuteronomy. It's 34 chapters. It's the sermon before he goes into the land. The longest and the best sermon ever, and you know what it's all about? Covenant. This is who you are. 
You're God's people. This is what you do. Don't forget it. Live this way. Do this. Don't forget. Do this. On and on is through Deuteronomy. Covenant. This is the essential message. God is God. You're God's people. Don't forget. He says it over and over again. Do what is right. Covenant. We did not choose God. God chose us. This is what life looks like. Revering God and loving God's ways in the world. Covenant. We, when we all understand this, we really have no choice. This is who we are. This is what we do. God is God. We're God's people. It's beautiful. It's life-giving. It's salvation. It's the gospel. This is who you are. This is what you do. Keep at it. Don't forget it. So, so when the destructive and pathological ways of the world come tumbling over us, what should we do? What should we do? Well, we would do well to remember covenant. God is God. God provides and cares. God assures and reassures. And we remember and we don't forget, though it's super hard not to forget when we're covered up with worries and anxieties and pathological and destructive forces. It's easy to forget. But no, remember. Remember God is God. Revere God. Do what is right. Serve God. This is what faithful life is meant to look like. Then we have a second lesson today, and it's some words of Jesus, some familiar words of Jesus that come from the Gospel of Matthew in that large section called the Sermon on the Mount. I'm reading uh, in chapter 5, beginning at verse uh, 13. You are the salt of the earth, but if salt has lost its taste, how can its saltiness be restored? It's no longer good for anything, but it's thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A city built on a hill cannot be hid. No one after lighting a lamp puts it under the bushel basket, but on the lampstand, and to give light gives light to all the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have come not to abolish, but to fulfill for truly I tell you, until heaven and earth pass away, not one letter, not one stroke of a letter will pass from the law until it's accomplished. Therefore, whoever breaks one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same will be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But who, whoever does them and teaches them will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. For I tell you, unless your righteousness exceeds that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. This is the word of the Lord. So here's a secret. It's not really a secret. The whole premise of everything that Jesus says, especially the Sermon on the Mount, but everything else that Jesus teaches is all rooted in covenant. The covenant that goes back to the beginning. The covenant that reminds us that we're always connected to God. The covenant that says we're God's people. Nothing changes. You're God's people. God blesses and God calls us to be a blessing. We live as a blessing as we're salt, as we're light in the world. Jesus is really just echoing Moses. When you go forth, don't forget who you are. You belong to God. 
And you're God's people. You're salt and you're light. Do not think the law doesn't apply. Be righteous. Revere God. Serve God. This is who you are. This is what you do. So Eugene Peterson is a name that we know and speak about often around here, a Presbyterian minister who died two years ago. Eugene Peterson said he was often worried about Christians, especially American Christians. He says Americans are covered up with so much consumerism. And if we're not careful, American Christianity begins to fall into the same consumer-minded tendency. We get away from following Jesus, and we get more inclined to look for what we can get from Jesus. We ask what Jesus might offer me to make my life a little better. We ask uh, what this church or what a certain community might help me feel better, how it might help me feel better, how it might suit my needs or feed our politics or calm our fears or answer our questions in the ways that we agree with or maybe put us in a more position to be happier, more successful. It's all about what we can get from Jesus if we're not careful, like our consumer culture. Peterson even says that we're, many of us are wanting to pull God in as a part-time assistant on our side. And he's always low paid, if at all. Pull God in as our part-time assistant so we pretty much can stay in charge and tell God what we need to happen in the world. We're good at doing that and not letting God be in charge. But this always runs against covenant. Right up against covenant. God is God. We're God's people. God covers us with love and blessings, care and life, even eternal life through Jesus Christ. We're to live as God's people, all of us, as salt, as light. It's not fundamentally about what we can get from Jesus. It's about what we might give to Jesus, our lives, our commitments, our loves. It's about living and loving in the world as God's people. It's the message all through the Bible. Here's the truth. Salt doesn't exist for itself. Salt exists to purify, to preserve, to flavor things. The essence of salt is in how it affects other things. By itself, salt has really no purpose. As it interacts with other things, salt has very significant results. Light also exists to brighten the world. Light reveals beauty. Light reveals colors. Light points out, wow, justice. Light can lead us in brighter paths, more wholesome lives. Light by itself, not so important. Light shining in the world, everything changes. Becomes better, more beautiful, more wholesome. This is the way we are as disciples. We're, we're called to function like salt and light. It's part of covenant. We do not exist for ourselves. We exist to purify and preserve and bring light and justice to the world so peace and hope can emerge for everyone. We exist to enhance. We exist to flavor all of life with God's love and God's purposes 
That's how we use our lives. That's what it means to be in covenant. We're moving these days into stewardship season when we're asked to think about our blessings and how we're a blessing. May the truth and promises of God, covenant people, may it deepen our generosity. May it increase our commitments. May it remind us that we're to be salt and light and each of us can do our part. This is how we live. Whoever has received God's blessings and love, whoever is under God's spirit, whoever is filled with God's presence, seeing with God's eyes, living with God's love, those people, all of us, have a glimpse of what God intends in the world. Love, inclusion, peace, possibility, justice. And then those people, we, are to take on the character of salt and light and make a difference in the world. That's us. That's our lives. That's our calling. The world needs us. How much does the world need us, actually? Jesus doesn't offer an invitation. He doesn't say, hey, come on and be salt and light. He doesn't say, you ought to be salt. You should be salt. You must be salt. He doesn't say that. He says, you are salt. You are light. What Jesus wants is that we be who we are. Be who we are in the world. Our covenant life with God intends to shape everything about us. Our living, our giving, our loving, our serving. How about it? May it be so. Amen. Let us pray. Holy God, to turn from you is to fall. To turn to you is to rise. To live as salt and light in covenant as your people. Well, that is to abide forever. We seek that way following Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen.